0: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman.
1: Today on the Think Humanities podcast, museums in the age of a global pandemic. Many museums around the world, the nation, and here in Kentucky became members of a growing contingent of museums, academic institutions, and historical societies that were shuttered during the COVID-19 outbreak in early March. Some are still closed. How are museums opening today after being closed for nearly five months? In the wake of growing virus numbers in many parts of Kentucky, what safety protocols are in place for the reopenings? What responsibility do museums have to meet history and the pandemic head on? Joining me for the discussion today are Andrew Trinan, president and CEO of the Fraser History Museum in Louisville, Frank Bennett, CEO of the National Quilt Museum in Paducah. He's also a museum consultant and a published author uh, titled uh, The Breathing Organization. I wish we had time to talk about that. I probably need a little bit of that. And Laurie Risch, the Executive Director of the Beringer Crawford Museum in Covington. Welcome to you all. Frank, uh, let me begin with you uh, as a museum consultant, uh, and I'm sure all uh, keep up with what's going on around the world, the nation and in Kentucky. Just give me a little capsule comment on what this uh, last five months uh, has been like for museums in general and for the Quilt Museum in Paducah.
2: Well, if you had told me back in January that I was going to spend two and a half months sitting in this building by myself with no visitors, I, I would have given you hundred to one odds that you had something wrong with you. But uh, the answer to your question is, for all of us, the things that we considered norms, that we just considered things you don't think about, visitors coming in, the cycle of exhibits, the cycle of education. How people experience our facilities all are in a different place now. We're having to consider things on a daily basis that we historically do not have to think about. You mentioned also that I talked to a lot of other museums and they're in all different places of thinking about staff issues, thinking about if they're going to have to shrink, thinking some of them have not reopened. Some of them are having discussions about can we reopen. But we're now dealing with significant life-changing, mission-changing things on a weekly basis, things we took for granted not long ago.
1: And Andrew, uh, for you in uh, Kentucky's uh, largest uh, city, this is uh, particularly interesting uh, to me that we have, uh, not that uh, Covington is anyway any way a small town, uh, especially when you include the entire region, Uh, Frank representing a medium-sized city, but Louisville uh, being the largest city in the state and right there in the middle of town. You've had some other difficulties you've had to deal with, too. Tell us what it's been like at the Fraser.
3: Well, um, like the great Muhammad Ali, we've proven we can take a punch this year. It has certainly been uh, a challenge, and and COVID-19 was our first. We were off to a a really great start. We learned in March that we would have to um, shut down. And a week before we kind of made that determination, we re- worked our staff. We kept everybody on board, but we um, convened a couple of committees, a communication committee and a content committee, because we knew we would have to deliver uh, our mission and our brand in a different way. So we started, we didn't announce that we were closing as a museum. We announced that we were opening a virtual product and we started delivering it that, that very same day. So the, the content that we create, um, we we just had to find a new way to distribute it to people. So uh, we were closed until uh, June sixteenth, um, but we used that downtime to um, expand our footprint and to try to reach more people and to fill a need in the community in nursing homes and families in school districts and teachers that needed content because they were stuck at home. Uh, We also kind of discovered that we were living in a historic moment right now. So we created something called the Coronavirus Capsule, uh, which allowed people to express themselves and send us real-time poetry, visual art, music. uh, And that became a real popular uh, place on the website and will be a tangible uh, exhibit moving forward. And now we're dealing with some of the same social injustice issues that are relevant and timely. And, and we're doing some of the same things and creating programming and potential exhibits around those things.
1: Laurie, the Beringer Crawford uh, museum in Covington uh, is in, by the way, if people have not seen it, it's a, a beautiful facility. Uh, the, uh, as I understand it, the home of the, of the uh, former um, residents there. And uh, tell me how, Quickly, you were able to assess the situation uh, in March, or even maybe before then, and how quickly you were able to to turn and begin uh, new programs.
0: I, you know, we're we're a small museum, and um, and with a limited number of staff, we have four full time people and and about eight seven part time people, and so with that, we could. Um, change rather quickly now we were not expecting it at all i think i'm like frank you know if you could have told us in even in february even in early march that this was going to happen you know we had a we happened to have a board meeting the week before we actually closed down and i remember our board members beginning to speak about closure and i thought is it really this serious so it took us um, a little bit of time when we closed down, and we closed down on March I think 13th, and we just reopened July 11th. And so we ended up. The first thing we did is we contacted our members and we started polling people: What do you need from us? What can we do for you? We developed a teacher um, focus group. And our members alone just came back and said, gosh, anything you can do virtually, what we had been doing in-house, you know, can we turn it around and do that? So we ended up beefing up um, all of our people actually turned into fantastic learners themselves. You know, we had to teach ourselves, you know, the whole virtual aspect. We had not really done any of that. But I cannot... Describe how happy I am and proud I am of all of our staff that they became the creative people that I knew they are. You know, but you sometimes don't always get to show when you're doing your daily grind. But uh, we created lots of new virtual programming. Uh, we created new program, a History Hour that happens every Wednesday night at six thirty, and um, and so that has been tremendous. And we are reaching probably more people than if they would come to the museum. Our virtual history hours are attracting upwards to a hundred people easily and our facility where we would host those lectures, can't even hold that capacity. So we're, we have, worked in and tried to get with outside with our community to say what can we do and and like andrew we also um ask people to contribute to the local history and give us their stories of COVID and everything else and we're we're one of many in the whole greater cincinnati area um, that is doing it but we in particular like to focus and are focusing on northern kentucky
1: um, Andrew I know has um sh- uh characters Chautauqua performers uh there are people that uh he can or could have gone virtually with uh you just mentioned that you've done some virtual programming too uh Frank I'm not uh as familiar as maybe I should be uh, although the quilt museum is uh, extraordinary for people who haven't visited but I don't know when I I've been there on several occasions I don't remember A historical character. Uh, Maybe you do have a docent or someone like that. Are you doing virtual programming in uh, in Paducah?
2: We're doing a small bit, but not as much as the two other organizations in this discussion. The bigger thing that was relevant to us is that we're the, uh, well, they call Paducah Quilt City USA, and we're the hub of the quilting community, where we touch by social media, email, Really, by all of our programs, uh, Block of the Month, we touch literally millions of people who are artists in the fiber space all over the world. And so, what was important to us is to keep the mission going, which is keep creating content, even if it's just social media posts, that shows people that we're still doing the work, things are still moving. We may be closed to the public, but we're still active and. As far as what we're doing digitally at this point, it's all stuff related to uh, staying active, staying in a communication with folks. We just started a program, which is an interactive quilting experience where one of our employees teaches how to do a thing and then people all over the world do that thing and they interact. At the end of the day, I like to tell people it's all about showing folks that the work goes on. It's just that your front doors happen to be closed <laughs>
1: uh Andrew. what uh, responsibility did um, you feel you had at the at at the Fraser, or for uh general uh, purposes museums uh to capture as you mentioned the the, the covid moment and also uh, as you uh referenced the social justice uh uh discussions that are going on in the issue, and certainly in Louisville, uh, in Lexington, and, and in smaller cities, too. So uh, again, did, did you feel like or did you recognize, were you nimble enough to, to turn on it uh, right away and begin to work on uh, the, the COVID part of that question?
3: Yeah, we were uh, working on it from very early on. We got a commitment from the chairman of our board, Mac Brown, that he he didn't want to let any staff go. So we were working with the people that we had. We knew they would be working in a different way immediately because they weren't going to be working in guest services. They weren't going to be doing performances. So um, we immediately started to try to provide that content in the virtual Fraser. And then it, it came to us that we were doing that for the school district. And we wanted to be at the front end of that as they were still trying to figure out virtual NTI, they call it non-traditional instruction. Um, we were providing some of that content. And then we said, let's in one of our brainstorming meetings, which were happening every day via zoom, um, which is a new way that we're all communicating. Um, we just started discussing, you know, that the people needed this outlet. They needed a place to express themselves. So we started with the school district, and then we were blown away at, at almost immediately at how many people needed to express in this way. And had submissions come in to the coronavirus capsule from all over the world. There was a, a gentleman who is an illustrator for Sesame Street in, in New York City created a Sesame Street character that saw our thing and. And did this thing with Dr. Fauci, so hmm. it, it, we knew we were on to something, and and being relevant in um, current history, while at the same time having people that are capturing, um, you know, some of the phenomenons of COVID nineteen. It's not just what kids are feeling or adults are feeling. It's you know the Governor Bashir phenomenon, and now we're in. In this mask thing, the anti-maskers. There, there's all kinds of really interesting things. We partnered with the University of Louisville. Uh, they are going to preserve all these archives, so in a hundred years, people can go in a room and study coronavirus uh, through. The submissions that came into the Fraser.
1: What were the teachers uh, in the Jefferson County Public School System and others too? I'm sure. What were they most interested in, and how did you present that material to them?
3: Well, they were interested early on in in content that uh, or or activities that their kids could do, um, and and we have a lot of credibility in that because we've been in the camp business since the museum opened. So we know how to activate 30 kids at a time in activities. So we were providing that content to teachers and they were using them as class projects, which not only gave them a way to manage before the school district had a formal system, but it also gave us some great content because we were getting all those 30 submissions. Some of them Outstanding. Some of them, uh, you know, average, but uh, it 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 formed a great relationship. And when other businesses or institutions started reaching out to us and saying we want to partner with you on this, you know, we knew that we had been uh, in a good place to pivot quickly and provide that content because other people then weren't competing with us. They wanted to partner with us.
1: Lori, you said you also uh, heard from teachers or from the educational system. Tell me a little bit about uh, how that happened. Uh, Did you reach out to them? Did they come to you? What uh, was that process?
0: We had, well, we had a um, our education director actually contacted all of the schools, the teachers um, whose schools had been scheduled to come here for a field trip and then, um, because they were all pretty much in flux, you know, for that time period, we really did not um, do anything that last month of their school se- uh, of their school season. But um, we're working with them now to look ahead for the for what's going to happen this fall and into next spring. And um, I know she has met. Uh, personally with a couple of teachers. There's a new Montessori school, for example, that's popping up in Covington, and um, they want to do, you know, every month do something with us, and it'll either be if they can come on site, they will. If not, that's what we're working on, virtual programs as well within the schools. So um, this is all. We were not We have always been kind of a home base site, or we could take things into the classroom, but it was always done from a personal level. So this is all new to us, and we are learning every day, you know, what we can um, do. So we were able to purchase, um, and actually through the Humanities CARES Act, Um, being able to purchase equipment that now we can actually do videos. We can do live videos, Um, summer camps. She's been doing camps in a box where the parents come pick up all the supplies in a box. And then she provides a half an hour live session with them. And then they have the rest of the day to do the activities. So, and they've ranged anything from nature to recycling to this is art through the ages this week. And the kids, we've already received photographs from the parents of children doing their, this happened to be, they were doing cave art today. And so kids painting their cave art and they have to create their own paints. So all of that materials in those boxes, and then they're able to do that. So with teachers, We have similar programming. We have, you know, a good 15, 17 programs that are already scheduled or or developed. And then um, we've always had... uh, artifacts that the teachers could pick up, take to their classroom and do themselves. So we're still, you know, we're still really trying to figure out And the school systems are still trying to figure out. I mean, it was just announced yesterday about the Campbell County schools, you know, how they're going to, and how they're hoping to have, and they have some, you know, several options. So the school, the kids may not even be in the classroom every day of the week. So it's things we're, Kind of going to be learning through. And, and we have multiple school districts up here. And so everyone so far is, is a little different.
1: Frank, um, uh, again, if somebody um, uh, comes into uh, the Quilt Museum, which is now open, how has it changed as far as your safety protocols uh, are concerned?
2: Well, first of all, uh, just like everybody else, you're required to wear a mask. You're required to social distance. We literally have 12 signs around the building reminding you that you have to wear a mask. When you first come to the front desk, both the front desk area and the gift shop area have the vertical glass where there's a glass partition between the person processing admissions and yourself. When you go inside, there's a a combination of docents and employees walking around making sure that social distancing occurs. And we've as it was mentioned by Andy, you know, there was a few people who, you know, have some uh, concerns about that issue, but for the most part, people who have come in have been respectful and followed the rules. And ultimately you had a good experience.
1: Andrew, what kind of, are you already preparing, um, NTI uh, material, uh, for uh, Jefferson County? Although I think the board just voted, um, last night, we're recording on July 22nd, um, to go ahead with it, I think there's some sort of legal maneuver somebody is involved in, but I don't want to get into that. I have no idea what the status of that is. I'm sure it hadn't been heard yet. Um, so, are you already planning ahead to offer material to the um, to the school system this fall?
3: Yeah, we had a a meeting yesterday and we are going to change, pivot a little bit in what we're offering because the school district now has had all summer to build its own content and will probably be more rich with what it has to offer. So what we're offering is NTI from the Fraser, which is we have a 100,000 square foot facility and we have a number of. Parents who can't go back to work now. Uh, so for the first, for five of the first six weeks, it's announced that Jefferson County Public Schools is going to be a virtual NTI for the first six weeks. We're going to have space for 20 different kids to come in, have their own table. Uh, it, it's a paid service; it's $200, um, and and we will have some scholarships because we have some Title One schools. So some of those spots will be scholarship. Uh, but we're going to basically be a place where our staff can offer support, help you with your instruction, but you're you're following your Jefferson County teacher's instructions. And then we have exhibit space and performances and other things we can do at lunchtime and, and to offer support. And that basically a parent can drop off their kid at nine, know they're going to be in school until they pick up at four.
1: So they will be not only involved with what is doing and putting together uh, and working with the kids, but they will actually be doing homework or they will be doing uh, studies that the teachers have assigned them or that, that you know of. Um, is that correct?
3: That is correct. They'll be involved in their Jefferson County Public School teacher content. Uh, some of those will include, we'll have to sp- split the kids who are happen to be in Zoom instruction at a time because the obvious Noise factor there, but uh, those kids will have headsets on. Some of them will be in, you know, curriculum based activity that is not Zoom related, but a large part of the instruction that they're getting will come from the school district itself, and we are providing them a space to do that away from home.
1: Frank, how do you advise museums on what is actually historically significant that if they haven't begun to? Collect materials or the process of uh, putting a display together. What what is your advice to them about what they should be looking for?
2: Uh, related to just COVID or just in general? Uh, COVID. Okay. Well, it's funny how history, the way we see things that happened 30 years ago versus when they were actually occurring is so significantly different. Bill, as you know in what you do, so many things that the people who lived it thought this is the thing that's the marker that everyone's going to talk about. Now, the way we historically think about different things is somewhat different. The general advice I have is the more you capture, the more you can tell compelling stories. At the end of the day, museums, our goal is to tell the story of the human condition. And in what we're living right now, it is in hyperspeed. Everything is happening so quickly. Not only does my opinion change weekly, sometimes things happen in an hour, we're having a different discussion. So the advice I give people is right now we're existing in a moment that's going in hyperspeed. And capture everything digitally. There is nothing. Don't make a decision. Don't think this isn't going to be relevant. Capture it. And then history will decide where it's going to go, where the story is going to go.
1: Laurie, tell me um, what um, has happened in the last uh, five months or so. Um, Maybe one historically significant uh, artifact or uh, uh, possibly are you doing, by any chance, oral histories? Uh, Have you asked people to write uh, anything? Uh, Yeah, just give me an example of, of what you've done.
0: We we basically ask people to you know write or journal you know what um, what's going on in their in their life at the moment. Um, we've we've asked for photographs if anything how they want to capture you know the time right now. Um, we spend a lot of time actually it's very interesting working through our collections because um, being closed we can actually tear things out of our collection care facility and really go through and take a look. And, and through that process, we did end up finding, you know, pieces of the past, you know, but being able to tie it into how is that relatable today, which then turned into types of programs or potential programming that can happen. Um, but we're we're doing music series, a concert series and We've started that concert series virtually. Um, We have the last three that we're hoping to hold here on site with a minimum of 50 people. And, you know, even just talking to the musicians has been interesting. And what I have found are people are really starting to think about themselves you know, maybe about how, and I had a conversation with our musician who's going to be performing tomorrow night, and he says, I'm really rethinking this whole performance aspect, and how is this going to happen in the future, and what am I going to do? And the other musicians I spoke to, you know, that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks, she basically said the same thing, you know, how are we going to be able to continue um, you know, providing this very, very important cultural aspect, you know, to our community. So I think everybody's really kind of questioning and trying to figure out, and some people get it, some people are doing it, some people are, like Frank saying, just immediately capturing things and writing things down, and then other people are really taking their time to kind of let it soak through and see what, what does that really mean for them? Um, But I personally think that there's a lot of positive that comes out of, you know um, this type, especially in this season right now that we're in um, you know, I do, I do think people really decide what's important in their life. And we're located in the beautiful Deboot park and we've not seen anybody quit using the park. And we have a wonderful nature play area that's in our facility and the kids have been continuing to come there. So I think that, um, you know, it's actually been an increased activity. So I think, I think that whole aspect and maybe kind of getting back to the outdoors and just really trying to figure out it. We've had great attendance since we've opened um, we had a wonderful exhibit that we had just opened when we had to close down on a bead exhibit and it's reopened and people are still coming in. But in the meantime, we did a whole virtual tour of that bead exhibit so people could see it from our website. It's just been, like I said, I think the creativity level that has surfaced from everybody, um, has been the positive side.
1: Andy, let me ask you what, what was, uh, stands out in your mind, uh, one example of, uh, how impactful you think the Fraser has been, uh, maybe something that somebody has brought you or something that uh, they've written or just an example of, uh, of, of how significant, although tragic, this period of, uh, of history has been for all of us.
3: Well, we immediately decided we were going to collect all the responses we got from people um, that wrote into us after this. Part of it selfishly, right, because we knew we were doing all of this work that wasn't generating any revenue. So we knew there would be a time where we were going to try to turn this into uh, grant money or, um, you know, expanding our family, expanding our membership, sponsorships, those things. So we captured all of those. And uh, to be honest, when I'm having a bad day, I'll go back and just kind of review those. And and people are absolutely glowing and uh, referencing, you know, how. Wonderful! This content is for them, for their family. Some that have come in from nursing homes. When nursing homes, you know, they couldn't get visitors from anyone uh, in their families. They couldn't get their activity directors in there, uh, and they had um, content delivered. So it made me feel like we were onto something, and, and we're having a positive impact and living in our ignition, uh, our mission to ignite the human spirit.
1: Well, thank you uh, all for joining me this afternoon. I think all three of your museums were recipients of uh, the Kentucky Humanities CARES Act uh, through uh, not uh, uh, Kentucky Humanities so much. We were the conduit for the congressional appropriation. We hope it helped, um, and uh, we know how important museums are across the the world, uh, certainly across the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So, uh, Andrew Trinan of the Fraser Museum in Louisville, Laurie Reisch of the Beringer Crawford Museum in Covington, and Frank Bennett from the Paducah uh, Worldwide Famous Quilt Museum. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me on Think Humanities.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.